0: You're listening to the Option Alpha podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplusses. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smarter trades. So again, thanks so much for tuning in today, and before I even go any further, I just want to say a big, incredibly huge, humbling thank you to everyone who has already purchased access to the back tester, already upgraded to lifetime membership. It was a huge success on the first day, and we're just getting started. I think the feedback that we've gotten is insane. So over the weekend, we got a ton of feedback from people who've been just using stuff, people getting new and familiar with it, already starting to see some success and some tweaks to what they're doing. I mean, stuff that we've already known has, you know, been in the works and people have really enjoyed it on the lead side that have had access to it now for a couple of weeks, but I'm seriously like blown away by the the feedback that people have given. So if you haven't already checked it out, go ahead and go over to optionalpha.com slash toolbox. Or if you want to learn more about the whole story behind the backtester and what it's all entails, just listen to show number 95, which is the one right before this. So in today's show, we're going to get into learning a little bit more about higher implied volatility and, and really does it generate higher credits really is the, is the question here. And I think that this one's interesting for a couple of reasons because we looked at two really different variables here at the same time. And I think ultimately it shows how we've progressed over the last year or so in how we're trading. And what we've been doing is we've been doing a lot more active trading even during low volatility. We started making this switch, I don't know, maybe a little over a year ago or so. Once we started seeing some of this data come back in and and this is really kind of the the case study that you know talks more about why that is or or what the you know rationale behind that is, especially with the way that we trade right now, and and whether it's going to change or evolve in the future as we continue to look and do more research. I know that for me, you know, the Profit Matrix report, which comes out about a week and week and a half or so, has been really really insightful, and and definitely leads me to start looking at new strategies and new techniques of doing things that we haven't before, potentially doing some weekly stuff, which I think is going to be really cool and fun. So we're all just doing more testing here, and and obviously it's going to be really cool stuff that you guys will have access to when you get inside the membership. So the first thing is we went ahead and did two different tests in DIA. DIA is a major DAO component, very, very easy, liquid to trade security. And the first test that we ran was a put credit spread in the Dow, and so we did this put credit spread in the Dow, knowing that we would make some changes and alterations to it over time as you know, kind of the the strategy evolved and as we tried to optimize the strategy and, and look at different factors, namely in this case implied volatility and the credit that we take in, you know, how much money are we taking in? So the first strategy that we ran was a weekly put credit spread in DIA, which is the Dow, and we went ahead and did this for a 50-day expiration with an overall allocation of 50%. The one thing that we did here is we had a minimum IV rank of 50 level as well. So again, we did a weekly put credit spread in the Dow. We did average 50 days until expiration, so a little less than two months. We allocated 50% of our sample portfolio to trades like this, so that would be a big portfolio of put credit spreads. And we had a minimum implied volatility rank of 50%. So we would never enter this trade unless implied volatility was really, really high, right? We had a 50% profit target exit, which is typically what we have for credit spreads, and we had no stop loss level. We entered all of these spreads at the 40 delta on the put side, which means that we were selling options really close to the money, not at the money, but really close to the money, and then buying options five strikes away. So we're doing a fairly wide spread. I mean, it's not 10 or 20 strikes wide, but we were doing it about five strikes wide, selling options just out of the money, but still fairly close. So you can almost think about it as a you know pseudo synthetic short put, if you want to. But it's really this like kind of very very bullish and aggressive spread in the Dow, right? So again, the first trade that we did, our first test that we ran was at 50 IV rank with 50% allocation it ended up that that strategy ended up losing over the entire period 71%. So you had a pretty big drawdown trading this. Now I think the toughest part about this and what was challenging about this is that your loss really came in the front side of this return, right? So we started testing in 2007 That was right before the market crash. This strategy was basically in the, you know, in the crosshairs of a market crash and ended up really having a major drawdown early in the cycle. And look, this is what we talked about before. I think we talked about it in show number 94 with Apple in the call debit spreads. I mean, the sequence of returns that you get is so, so critical to your ultimate success. And in this case, an early massive drawdown it just couldn't recover from. So the other part to this that, that's really interesting when you look at you know the two strategies that we ran here in this example is that when you had minimum implied volatility at 50%, after that point at which we made a lot of trades early in the cycle, you really didn't make that many trades for the rest of the cycle and in total you only made 97 entries. So, you were kind of pigeonholed a little bit because you were trading weekly and you had this minimum IV threshold criteria that the strategy just didn't work, you know, from that time period. And so, it's really, really difficult to, you know, to get that to work not only with the sequence of returns early, but also with this minimum IV level being so high. What is interesting though is when you look at the average premium that you received during this time period. So, The average premium that you collected was about $150 for each of these credit spreads that you took on, which is a pretty decent spread for a $5 wide, you know, situation or $5 wide trade. So we collected a pretty decent premium on here. And with regard to like returns, the average return for our trades was 13.99% per spread. So a really good return on the number of trades that we had, it's just those early ones really kind of like broke it and we couldn't recover at 13% per trade after a while, right? So again, this I, I keep like talking about it so, so much and I've talked about on Facebook Lives a bunch of times now, but the sequence of returns that you get is so, so critical to your success. So that was all during high implied volatility, right? So IV over 50 rank level, that's when all these trades were made. So what we did is we decided to make two different tweaks. So we instead of just making one quick tweak, we tweaked two different things for this test. One, we said, okay, forget the IV level. So let's throw the IV level out and let's actually have no minimum implied volatility threshold at all. So let's make trades as often as we can make them regardless of IV and obviously knowing that we would increase the trade frequency dramatically, right, on a weekly basis. We also reduce the overall allocation. So we said okay, if we know that sometimes higher allocations as we've shown even in show number 92 with TLT can lead the portfolio to, you know, a huge drawdown because of big allocations, let's reduce the allocation that we have down to 20%. So we changed two things. We changed the allocation down from 50 to 20% And we took out the minimum implied volatility rank threshold of 50%. We still kept the same profit target, the same stop loss, the same spread width, the same short strike deltas. Everything else stayed exactly the same. Days to expiration, trade frequency as weekly, everything else stayed the same. What ended up happening now is now we had a strategy that performed much, much better. It still did not beat the market, still had a big drawdown during the 2008 crash, But instead of losing 71%, it only lost 4%. And the Sharpe ratio improved by 20 basis points, which is really good. What we saw is we saw not only the maximum drawdown get reduced from 93% down to 68%, so that obviously still hurt going through that 2008 cycle, being one-sided, being a one-directional trader, which I hate doing, this is why I hate doing it, because you go through a cycle like that and you basically take what the market gives you. But we had a little bit better win rates and we had more trades. So we entered 324 trades versus 97. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the average premium when implied volatility was high was about $150. Since we were making trades, regardless of implied volatility level our average premium was $117 for the second study. So now this shows you again that higher implied volatility does pay more money. The problem with higher implied volatility is that when it's present, it's only present a couple times during the year or even a couple times during a couple years. So although you can make outsized returns and outsized gains during that time period, they're just not all that prevalent. It doesn't happen all too often that we need to do something during low implied volatility to kind of compensate for that. So when you also look at the P&L per trade, remember the first test that we ran with high implied volatility as the filter had an average P&L percent of about 14%, 13.99. The average P&L percent with low implied volatility was 7.18. So again, your profitability was two times higher when implied volatility was high. Then, when implied volatility is low. So this is the result that kind of comes out of this, is a dynamic approach to options trading that you have to start integrating into what you're doing. It can't be just a one-size-fits-all. You have to be dynamic in both the strategies that you choose and the aggressiveness or position sizes that you also have for those setups, right? So the, what we've been doing over the last, call it year plus, is we've recognized this early on as we start getting a lot of this data in and realize, hey, we gotta start adding more of a consistent strategy to our portfolio even during low implied volatility. Because frankly, it pays to be active during low implied volatility and to keep a neutral balance, Right, so we wouldn't go anything just one directional, we keep a neutral balance, keep a consistent flow of trades happening in the portfolio, because even though we have smaller returns on those trades, they still pay. And the key takeaway now is that when implied volatility is high, we know that we're going to get compensated X more you know, dollar-wise, percent-wise, whatever, higher win rates, all of that stuff is going to happen during higher implied volatility on a per trade basis. We just have to be able to scale into that. Right, we have to kind of take these two approaches and take the best of both of these and combine them together, so that you have this dynamic portfolio. That as implied volatility rises, you scale into bigger positions. You become a little bit more aggressive in some cases because you can generate higher P and Ls per trade, higher percentages per trade. What happened in the case of DIA is that it was a one-trick pony in both cases. Right, it was a one-trick pony both directionally and with implied volatility for the first setup. So the scaling allocation hurt it because it was only a one directional trade. When you actually go back and run straddles on things like the market, DIA and SPY, with the same setup, you see that it ends up winning out because you're neutral. And so the market decline in 2008, 2009 didn't have a dramatic impact on the portfolio. In fact, you can go back to, I believe it was the launch podcast that we did show number 95, where we kind of ran through a back test in spy. that was a weekly trade, forty days until expiration, like all the same kind of setup. and it you know ended up really outperforming the market because you were more neutral. So I, I think we have to you know recognize at this stage now that our portfolios have to be more more dynamic. and there's there's no more of this kind of one size fits all. It's a market scenario type of situation that you have to put yourself into. And honestly, this is why we built the optimizer and the backtester. You know, more importantly, the, the trade optimizer, which we went over in detail in the last show, 95, you know, we built the optimizer because every market scenario could just be a little bit different. And in this case, two little tweaks had a major impact on not only the potential success of the trades, but also drawdowns and win rates and profitability. I mean, given a longer time period, you know, who knows if the DIA put credit spread, you know, ultimately beats out the market, you know, after a, you know, maybe not recovering or not losing as much. You know, early in the cycle or whatever the case is, but it's this idea of looking at every market scenario as a different potential opportunity for a new trade, and being more you know systematic about how we approach different scenarios in a dynamic fashion, changing as we go. And I think that that's really important. I think that that's where you know the outsized gains are going to occur. Yes, you could run a back test that you know is the same vanilla strategy over and over. But the real meat and potatoes of what we're doing here is combining some of the insights that we've learned from different runs and different tests like this and learning how to create a portfolio that's a little bit more dynamic based on the market situation. So again, hopefully that helps out. I know I've probably said dynamic 72 times, but it's my new buzzword is you know dynamic and sequence of returns. So you guys will probably hear them a lot as we continue to roll out some more of this back testing data. And hopefully you guys enjoy these. As always, you can get additional information not only on our new backtesting tool inside the toolbox, which is on optionalpha.com toolbox, but you can also head on over to the show notes page and check out some more information on the tests that we ran today at optionalpha.com show 96. That's just the number 96, optionalpha.com show 96. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now, here's today's question. Hi Kirk, my name is Ronnie and I'm from Vancouver, BC, Canada. I've been investing for some time and trading for less than a year. Your site and podcasts have been a godsend. My question is, with regard to adding no extra risk, in air quotes, by turning a challenged credit spread into an iron condor, what about if the position that was going against you turns around and goes back for you in a big way? Now the second entry, which was uh, made for maybe less than optimal credit, is in danger of losing when you would have profited from the original trade. I'm wondering if you systematically go a certain distance out of the money to ensure you would rarely get stung. Looking forward to your wise words. Thank you very much. All right. Hey, Ronnie, thank you so much for submitting the question and really appreciate you taking the time to do that. So the real question is here is, you know, does converting an iron condor make sense, right? That's really the question. And I think the answer to this question in its most simple terms is that you have to stop the bleeding first. So I truly think about trades that go wrong or bad as patients bleeding out on the table. I'm not a doctor, never been a doctor. I think about patients bleeding out on the table and what you have to do is you have to stop the bleeding first before you hope to save the patient. And so what I don't want people to do is get into the habit of having false wins. So a trade that goes against them and then they didn't do anything to reduce the risk, it comes back around becomes a wildly profitable trade and then they think to themselves, well, I didn't reduce the risk in this case, it turned out so that's what I should do. And that's a false win. It's a win that doesn't really make sense because it's not what should happen in a systematic and rhythmic system like the one that we're trying to teach everyone here at Option Alpha. We've been doing a lot of testing on this and we're trying to hone in on exactly what the different adjustment triggers are for different strategies. I think the adjustment concept will remain the same based on what we're seeing. But I think the triggers, like we're learning with a lot of the backtesting that we're doing, is going to be more dynamic. You know, this adjustment trigger might work better for this strategy, or that adjustment trigger might work better for that strategy. So I think it is not a one-size-fits-all thing, but I think it generally does make sense to definitely adjust and to reduce risk first. If it turns back around and it goes the other way, could have been profitable, you say, oh, well, at least I reduce risk, right? And that's the name of the game. It's reduce risk and take trades off early for profits. That ultimately is going to turn the zero you know, odds or the zero-sum game in our favor, and I think that's what you want to do. Another show that you want to check out if you want to learn more about adjustment triggers is show number 72. So if you're on your phone right now or listening on the website, you can just go back to show number 72. We talked all about the different adjustment triggers that we use for different trades. That was a really popular show back last year and so you can definitely check that out on your phone. As always, if you guys would like to get your questions answered here on the podcast like Ronnie did or live on Facebook and Periscope as I've been doing every day, head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask, click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. Remember there is no software to download and install, it takes literally 30 seconds. So if you have a question in your head, go over there, hit the big red button, send me a voicemail and then I'll be able to add it to the queue so that we can answer these live on the podcast and on Facebook and Periscope. So before we get in the closing bell segment, just wanna let you guys know, again, we are right in the middle of our launch of our options backtesting tool. You can learn all about it by going to optionalpha.com toolbox. There's a bunch of demos over there, some video tutorials. Tons and tons of people have already added testimonials. are all over Facebook and Twitter, et cetera. I'm sure you'll be hearing from me via email, but like I said before in show number 95, I think that I've earned the right for a big ask, not a take, not a requirement. You don't have to do it, but I think that it's well, well worth the investment that you'll put into it, and there is an insane amount of value behind that much more so than the small nominal amount that you'll get into it. So if you guys want to learn more about it, again, head on over to opshop.com toolbox. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. Moving forward. All right, so in today's show, I want to talk about a new trade that we are actively trying to get into. In fact, it has not even filled yet. So just as a full disclosure, anybody who's an elite or pro member, and if you're listening to this podcast later on in the future, then you know that we maybe did not get into this thing, but I'm pretty sure we get filled here. We're looking at a trade in XOP. So XOP is an oil and gas ETF ETF. We already have a position on for the current expiration month and we wanted to get another position on here before it becomes too early in the cycle, or too late in the cycle to get it in. So we're going to go ahead and add another iron butterfly to the mix. It's got decent implied volatility at 33 IV rank, so it's not insanely low, but not insanely high either. And so what we want to do is we want to add a nice balanced iron butterfly. Now here's the only thing that we're doing just a little bit different with this trade. We're selling the at the money strikes at 35, which is about where the stock is trading right now. So at the money strikes at 35, sell the call, sell the put. On the put side, we're going all the way down to the 30 strike to buy our protection. So we're buying our long ends at 30 on the put side, which is worth about $10 a piece. On the call side, because there's a little bit of skew and the calls are not as valuable as the puts right now, since FX or XOP is falling, The calls, you only have to go $4 out to buy the same type of protection, meaning it only costs $10. Once you're $4 out, we could go $5 out to the 30 or to the 40 strikes, but we'd only be saving ourselves $2 to go the extra dollar out. So if you think about it this way, we're saving $2, but we're taking on an additional $100 of risk to save ourselves $2. the the difference between buying the calls at 39 or buying them at 40. And so at some point, it just doesn't make sense to go too far out. So we're gonna do this a little bit skewed. It's gonna have a little bit of, of bullish skew to it, so a little bit less risk on the top side, only because the calls are just not worth a lot of money. Now in this case we can still take in a pretty decent credit of about $2 and that moves our break even points out to the point in which it looks like it's about a 65-66% chance of success trade. so Pretty good trade for the month of, of expiration and definitely something that we want to get into. Probably our last position will give our, our current position some balance which was entered into A little bit higher up, our our current Iron Butterfly in XOP was entered at the 36th level. So this is just, again, sliding our strikes down a little bit to reflect the new price. And ultimately, I think it's going to work out pretty well. So we'll continue to monitor these I take them off at 25% profit targets, as we always do, and hopefully they work out by expiration month. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, so I truly hope you guys enjoyed today's show, got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, more profitable trader and investor. As always, you can get additional resources, links mentioned in the show, and some related to video training from today's show by going to optionalpha.com show96. That's just the number 96, optionalpha.com show96. If you're interested in learning more about our options backtesting software and trade optimization software... Now called the Toolbox, you can head on over to optionalpha.com toolbox. Until next time, happy trading.